Welcome to EM Guidewire, your guide to emergency medicine, brought to you by the residents and faculty from Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. Hey guys, welcome back to EM Godwire. My name is Joe Blackwell, one of the second year residents here at CMC. And I'm Brian Allen, one of the EM attendings here at Carolina's. What do you have on tap for us today, Blackwell? So today we're going to be talking about one of the bread and butter concepts of emergency medicine, running a code. This can be one of the more nerve-wracking scenarios for new residents. For most, it can be the first introduction to a severely sick person where you can intervene and potentially even save a life. In any code discussion, I think it's important to give ACLS its due. None of what we're talking about here today should be looked at as a replacement for what is tried and true. However, what we're hoping to do is provide you with some ideas for the next arrest that either comes into the ED, is on the floor, or ICU, and you hear that code blue page overhead. I mean, certainly ACLS is a great place to start and gives us a, a, a ground-level view. Hopefully, as you progress in residency and in your experience with emergency medicine, you develop your own practice pattern. And so hopefully what, what we're going to touch on today is how to develop that practice pattern. Blackwell, let's go to a case. You're working a busy shift and the medic radio goes off and EMS starts to say they're coming in hot with a code in progress. What is your next step? Third rule of the house of God, I'm going to take my own pulse. The only thing worse than one code of the ED is two codes. For sure. Happy for you to learn from any case, including those that uh, involve codes, but uh, don't need the transition to have to treat you as well. <laughs> so next thing I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to be getting my room ready and I'm going to be assigning roles. Code card in the room, advanced airway equipment to bedside, RT if you have it available, nurses, techs, everyone, med students, everyone get in the room so that they can help us out. I love it. Codes can be chaotic, so anything you can do to reduce this chaos is perfect. Load the boat early and bring as much help as you can. Make sure you have nurses ready to give drugs, maybe someone to record the events, and most importantly, lots of people like techs, med students, or anyone else you can find to help do chest compressions. Take control of the room early and get people organized before the craziness ensues. The better everyone's experience, and possibly even the patients, will be. Another important thing to remember is knowing the names of your team will help when things become chaotic and you're trying to get stuff done. Yeah, the worst thing you want to do is just be pointing fingers at everyone when the stuff's hitting the fan and not know who your team members are. I think another aspect of running a code is setting yourself up to be the leader of the room. Speak loudly, be assertive while also being respectful, stand at the foot of the bed, not in the corner of the room. Verbalize what you're thinking, even if you may think that it's redundant or everyone else is thinking it. It's good to have everyone on the same page. It may seem silly, but saying when to move the patient over, get the pads on, attach the cardiac monitor, not only is going to get things done, but it's also going to get you in a rhythm and establish yourself as the leader of the room. That's a good point, Blackwell. You don't want to have a timid person uh, running a code. Make yourself known and remain known to the room. All right, so EMS rolls in, they're performing compressions, they're bagging with BVM, and they proceed to give you a report. You have a 50 or so year old gentleman coming in from home after a passing out spell at the kitchen table. Luckily, 911 was called immediately, and the well-trained dispatcher instructs family to check for pulses. When they don't feel anything, they start pumping on the chest. Dr. Allen, what are the big things you want to know from EMS? I mean, I think you already touched on one of them, and that's whether or not bystander CPR was initiated. Like, was it done at all? When did it start following the collapse of the patient, and for how long? Other things I'm going to want to know quickly are maybe total downtime, the initial presenting rhythm and what drugs or electricity was administered by the pre-hospital providers. Each of these pieces provides literally vital information in helping to determine what could be the underlying cause and what is going to give you the best chance of reversing that cause. 
I love it. I think at this point in the code, you're going to want to get back into the execution of the roles that you just assigned. Go back to basics. I think it's fair to assume that if the patient has cardiac arrest, they're not breathing on their own. Despite how sexy it might look, intubating the patient in the middle of compression isn't going to be the best course of action, something that has been proven multiple times. Keep it simple. Put in a supraglottic device like an LMA or a King LT, whatever you have in the cart. These are quick. Anyone can do it. I'm also telling RT to give a breath every six to eight seconds. In addition, make an end title CO2 monitor an essential part of your code cart. Being able to track your end title is not only a marker for the quality of chest compressions, but can also give you an idea of when you're getting spontaneous circulation back. So we've covered A and B, next is C, compressions. High-quality compressions are life-saving and the single most important thing you can do for this patient. Completely agree with that. Recall that in a medical arrest, the thinking is now CAB over ABC, with you emphasizing the compressions and de-emphasizing advanced airway placement, I think you get on path with this. Changing your approach from the get-go can make you more successful in what's already a difficult case. Now here at CMC, we use a team-focused CPR model for our resuscitation. This approach to running a code was adapted from pre-hospital literature and focuses on important things that can improve outcomes, organization, and minimizing interruptions in CPR. Without going into excruciating detail, the basic tenet is minimally interrupted compressions with around 200 compressions, followed by the briefest of pulse and rhythm checks. At that time, you can shock if you need to, and then you immediately resume compressions as quickly as you can. Again, the emphasis is on the most minimal amount of time off of the chest. That could be immediately after giving a shock for a ventricular rhythm or the moment you see the organized electrical activity and don't feel a pulse, or PEA. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you mean to tell me that Hollywood has been lying to us? Not everything is shockable? You mean someone that is an asystole? I'm not calling for the pads to get on and shock? I mean, shocking, isn't it? (laughs) There we go. I know, but there are only two shockable rhythms in the world of cardiac arrest in a code situation. That's ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation. Those are going to be classically associated with ischemic lesions. And so I think as you get those patients back or you find patients in those rhythms, despite doing defibrillation, you're also going to want to get cardiology involved early. Whether or not they need immediate catheterization or delayed is a discussion for a different podcast. But I think if you find those shockable rhythms, I'd be pretty quick to get your cardiologist involved for PCI. Yeah, so these are very easy codes to run. ACLS protocol, DFib, AMIO, EPI, all the things. However, these rhythms only account for about 20% of the cardiac arrests that come in. The other rhythms require a little bit more thinking, so let's delve into those a little bit more. These codes would be classified as PEA arrest, or pulses electrical activity arrest. I think it's prudent to say that although the heart is the elephant in the room during a cardiac arrest, PEA is often not caused by primary cardiac disturbance. So, Dr. I know it's been a while for you, but let's go back to med school. PEA is classically taught H's and T's. H is hypovolemia, hypoxia, hypokalemia, increased hydrogen ions or acidosis, hypothermia. T, something like cardiac tamponade, toxins, thrombosis of both the pulmonary um, and coronary vasculature, trauma, and tension pneumo. Thanks for that. I would guide our listeners over to Dr. Lippman's approach to PEA that was recorded in the fall. Suffice it to say, life can be simpler than the H's and T's in the world of PEA. Now, by doing your initial evaluation, the ABCs we talked about, some of these H's and T's have been crossed off your list already. Hypoxia and likely hypothermia based on your initial vitals and putting your hands on the patient. Trauma can likely be crossed off your list early because you'll know about a traumatic event and traumatic arrests carry a notoriously high mortality rate, especially when blunt. Yeah, I think the most recent literature says up to 93 to 95% of cardiac arrests that are due to trauma ultimately succumb to their injuries. Now, I don't know about you, Dr. Allen, but in the middle of a code, thinking of these things is tough. 
The room is crazy. You may have family members freaking out. Staff may be freaking out. I think the use of ultrasound is a great tool. Seeing is believing and just shotgunning a bunch of therapies to try and get this person back likely isn't the best course of action. Being facile with ultrasound is key, however. There was a study recently that came out of resuscitation showed that using point-of-care ultrasound can lead to increased duration of pauses in CPR, which is not what you want. If you can get good views quickly, by all means, go for it. But don't sacrifice what's important. High-quality chest compressions improve outcomes, not ultrasound. True that. Shout out to the great Dr. Tyel, hashtag VT, for getting us all facile with ultrasound. <laughs> In between compressions, you get a colleague to grab a quick ultrasound. What are the things you're looking for? So the easy thing to see right off the bat is an effusion. You see a big whopping pericardial effusion with signs of tamponade. Grab your spinal needle, start prepping the subxiphoid area, get ready for a pericardiocentesis. I love it. What else? So you can also look at the right ventricle pretty quick. If it's blown out and you have signs of RV strain, a PE could also be a cause of a PEA arrest. Cool. That patient may need thrombolytics if available or maybe even thrombectomy. I would add the caveat that the RV will look large in a bunch of different types of cardiac arrest, regardless of cause. Left ventricular failure happens first, causing backup and acute dilation. And if the patient got loaded with fluids as well, good chance that poorly pumping right ventricle is going to look big on ultrasound. Though the patient is already dead in front of you, only jump to lytics if you have a good history of PE. Certainly, you buy yourself a longer resuscitation time with introduction of lytics, and just because the right ventricle was dilated on that ultrasound, you don't want to be throwing it at all comers. Yeah, so things that I'm going to be looking for in the history or just looking at the patient, leg swelling, uh, if you have a chance to do a quick chart check before the patient rolls in a history of cancer, or a big bottle of apixapan uh, in the patient's purse is also a good clue. Now, another quick thing that you can do is throw the linear probe on the chest wall and look for lung sliding. This is a quick and sensitive way to rule out attention pneumo. It's reported at up to 98% sensitive and 100% specific for a pneumothorax. Maybe a little more difficult to see, especially with bagging of the lungs with BVM. That can quickly get uh, the lungs overinflated and kind of distort some of your views. However, even if the patient didn't start with a pneumothorax, they may have gotten one from rib fractures during chest compressions. That'll make it impossible to get pulses back if they've developed tension on top of what else caused their arrest. Quick note, some may suggest that looking at a patient's IVC with a probe can be helpful in determining your resuscitation. However, I'd be super hesitant to do this. These patients are going to have crummy hearts. Their vena cava is going to look fat, regardless of their actual volume status. Just throw some fluids on. Be quick to jump to pressures if you need it. Good point. With this quick look with ultrasound, we've been able to cross some things off of our H's and T's list, like hypovolemia, hypoxia, tamponade, thrombosis, trauma, tension, pneumo, or hypothermia. That leaves just a couple other things. So let's talk about hyperkalemia. When doing a rhythm check, if it's not VTAC but has wide complexes, this is hyper-K until proven otherwise. Give the calcium chloride, not gluconate. Doesn't matter if you have central access or not. The patient's dead. You're not going to make them more dead. Who cares if you necrose that vein? You're going to need to give them calcium to stabilize their cardiac membrane. Not sure how many hyperkalemic codes you've been involved in, but the onset of action of calcium is remarkably fast. Within minutes, you'll see improvement. If you see your complexes start to narrow at the next check, you should feel like you're on the right track. Give another amp and keep going. So last two things on these lists are toxins and hydrogen ions, or acidosis. So there are numerous things that can lead to a cardiac arrest. Some of the big ones that we like to talk about, beta blockers, TCAs, opiates. If there's concern for opiates, give Narcan. If other information points towards a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker overdose, throw on some calcium, give them glucagon, start epi, and even think about giving them the high-dose insulin. Yeah, with TCAs, you can even consider throwing sodium bicarbonate at them as a possible recovery agent. 
I'm sure there are dozens of other toxins out there that can result in cardiac arrest, but we'll leave those for our smart toxicologist to investigate and discuss later in a, maybe in an upcoming Toxidome episode. Last but not least, acidosis. Many times you can get a quick VBG while in the, in the resuscitation. Thankfully, VBG and ABG pH are largely correlate. And it's a great diagnostic tool. If you don't have access to this in your ED or on the floor, giving a few antisodium bicarb likely is not going to hurt. Remember, though, if your patient has end-tidal CO2 hooked up, you might see a spike as you give the bicarb. Keep compressing and bagging to give it the best chance of working. Again, they're dead. You're not going to make them more dead. Awesome work. I think we've hit on some big aspects of running a comb. Our big take-home points that I think we can kind of boil things down to are, one, ACLS is important, but it isn't the end-all, be-all. Use your brain, kind of break down what you find going on. Two, VTAC and VFib are classically associated with ischemia, but not always. Keep an open mind. Three, PEA is rarely cardiac in nature. Think outside of that chest box when you're looking for a source. Four, POCUS, or point-of-care ultrasound, when used in the hands of an appropriate clinician, can be extremely helpful. Never let it get in the way of your interventions that can really help the patient, like compressions and shocks, but be good at it. Be ready to employ it in your next resuscitation. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. From the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio here at Carolina's Medical Center, this is EM Godwire. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! CMC out. What you think? This is going to be obnoxious to listen to when I go to edit. Probably. You said flat. You said flat. With an L. With an L. The words are hard. I, I can't talk good. Also, is it appropriate to say squirt on the podcast? No. Like, where's some of that Narcan up there, boy? You can delete that, but I thought it was fun. Yeah, no, it was good. Yeah. I'll say it. This is EM Guidewire. CMC, oh. Don't eat the microphone. <laughs>